This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line, but rarely do successful people get from point A to point B taking the most direct route. Host Jeffrey Klein speaks to a diverse mix of people to explore their story of success and the dots connected along the way. Thank you for listening. Here's your host, Jeffrey. I am super excited about this episode because I get to just have a great conversation with one of my closest friends who just happens to be an Emmy and Tony award-winning film, theater, and television producer. Uh, salt of the earth guy that I've known God since I was six. And to see his rise to really embracing his talent, telling amazing stories, that's what he does. And, and he's really found a way to use his platform, to use his role as a producer, to share stories of importance. And I'm really proud of him and thrilled to share his story of him connecting the dots with all of you. Enjoy. Today is Mike Jackson, an Emmy and Tony award-winning film theater and television producer. Mike is co-founder and managing partner of Get Lifted Film Company, a production company who recently signed a three-year overall deal with ABC alongside his partners, Ties to Clorious and EGOT winner John Legend. Highlights of Jackson's credits include being an executive producer on the NBC Emmy Award winning live rock opera Jesus Christ Superstar, starring John Legend, Lionsgate, Lionsgate's Golden Globe winning and Oscar nominated film La La Land, the 2017 Tony winning Broadway production of August Wilson's Jitney. Jackson's also served as a producer on the poignant drama film All Rise, starring Oscar winner Jennifer Hudson. Jackson's also been an executive producer on the original drama series Underground, and recently was a producer on the reality dance competition show Rhythm and Flow with Cardi B, Chance the Rapper, and T.I. And most recently, Jackson served as a producer on the recently released holiday film Jingle Jangle, starring Forrest Whitaker and Keegan-Michael Key, currently available on Netflix. Jackson harnesses his Philly hustle and unparalleled tenacity to bring elevated multicultural content to global audience audiences. Please welcome one of my closest, dearest friends, Mike Jackson. Hi, Jeff. I, I, as you were reading my bio, I realized there was um, an error in there. So I just texted my office to like, we got to fix the bio. <laughs> no problem at all. Do you want to, what was the, what, what's the error? I mean, I didn't give everything there. You've done so much. No, well, the, the film you're talking about, All Rise, was based off of a book called Monster, and that was the original title of the film. Um, and then we were going to go with one distributor who wanted us to change the name until we changed it to All Rise. We ended up getting the film back, and now it's being released on Netflix under its original title, Monster. But Got that it. is a clerical error from my office. All good. So it is being dealt with in real time, which is awesome. I can also go back and record that part and edit it out if need be. Cool. So I like to start at the beginning. Where were you born and what did your parents do for a living? I was born in Lankanaw Hospital in Philadelphia, PA. Technically, it's called Winwood now. Um, my father was Thomas Mallory Jackson, and he was an engineer, not the train kind. And um, my mother, uh, Claralina Frazier Jackson, was a school teacher for, for decades uh, in the Chester Upland School District teaching third grade. 
I was also born in Lankanal, so I think good people come out of Lankanal. It's a great hospital. Yeah. Um, as a kid, so a lot of people we talked about, what did you want to be when you grew up? Like as a little kid, you're like, oh, astronaut or whatever. What did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? I, I thought one of two things growing up that I either wanted to be a professional basketball player or I wanted to do uh, sports broadcasting and be like, you know, whether it be like on ESPN or even like the local guy in Philly sports, just like knew everything. Uh, but those are my two big aspirations growing up. So as a result of those, did, is, did you have a role model? You looked up to people who are doing that either, you know, you must have a sports, you know, uh, star that you loved and, or their broadcasters you thought, Oh, I want to be like that. Well, I liked a lot of athletes. I mean, my favorite athletes, I guess, growing up, you know, anywhere from like Dr. J to Charles Barkley, um, you know, just cats that I looked up to when I was a younger kid. Um, and then as far as like journalism, there was a family friend that we had who didn't do sports, but um, he was a really prominent journalist. He was out of Philadelphia, but he was national on uh, 60 Minutes and CBS News named Ed Bradley. And he, you know, he was like the first person I met that like uh, was like famous, you know, because mm -hmm. he was on TV and he looked like me and it was pretty, and he wore a really cool diamond studded earring and he was just so cool. And, and although I wanted to do sports, I like wanted to do sports, but like embody Ed Bradley. Um, so yeah, I looked up to him a lot. And so he's pretty good at, as a storyteller. One of the things I'm obsessed with. Was there anyone else who was kind of a really great storyteller when you were growing up? <laughs> My dad was a great storyteller because he was so full of shit. So <laughs> he was always telling tall tales and being creative with his vernacular. Um, he even said to me, I remember when I was in high school and I was grounded, but I broke my punishment and did something stupid. And when I had to explain what happened, he just said, well, I already know you did it. So the best thing for you to do is be really creative in the story you tell me. <laughs> Basically like encouraging me to lie, um, which I'm not a big proponent of lying, um, but it has served me well, the idea of storytelling and creating, creating moments out of situations. Um, has helped me in my current career. Yeah, there's the creative license is something that I think as an artist, we like to see play out maybe in a, in a fiction realm, but maybe not in the personal realm. Um, I try not to lie in my real life. So, you know, it, it serves me well to be honest, but um, you know, there's definitely something about being able to uh, create myth. Speaking of myth, one of the things that we can't get away from is your name. And you grew up when Michael Jackson, the pop singer, was at the height of his. What was it like to grow up with the name of one of the most popular people on the planet? It's dope. Like, I mean, no one forgot me. I felt like they would remember me anyway, because I felt like I had a pretty cool, strong, friendly personality. I felt like I deserved to leave an impression on my own merit. But certainly if I didn't, I could just leave with Michael Jackson, nice to meet you. And they'd be like, oh shit. Um, I remember when I left Friend Central, I transferred to, and transferred to Lower Marion. I remember playing in a, a hoops game one night. I don't know if it was my junior or senior year, but every time I went to the free throw line, the opposing school would chant, mama say, mama sama makusa, mama say, mama sama makusa. 
and like different Michael Jackson things. And um, so that used to make me laugh, especially if I was making the shots. But um, yeah, it was it was interesting. And it, it, to this day, it serves me. Although I go by Mike Jackson to create a little bit of distance. Um, having that name is certainly, um, it's always been a leave behind for me. It's always been that thing you can like throw and hook people with because they're never going to not remember meeting Michael Jackson. So, well, I'll tell you the story I remember of you and your name, which you may or may not recall. But yeah. I, I, when I tell people, you know, one of my close friends named Michael Jackson, and they go, Michael, you're I'm like, not that one. I'm like, but what you used to say to people is, you used to say when they were like, oh, you like the singer, you're like, I'm the real Michael Jackson. And I <laughs> took pride in saying, that guy up there, he's not the real Michael Jackson. He's right here. I'm the real Michael Jackson. Well, now more than ever, because he's really not here. So like, but I will tell you, there's a lot of Michaels and there's a lot of Jacksons and there's a lot of Michael Jacksons evidenced by like the struggles I have with any social media handle and trying to figure it out. Although I did get Mike Jackson for Twitter. So I don't know how that happened. Someone got it for me. I don't know how it happened, but I was, I was like, word. So. What was your first paying job? My first job that I got money for was I was a delivery guy for a pharmacy uh, called Tepper Pharmacy, um, Wynwood. Um, My friend, Nicole Tepper, Nikki Tepper, her dad, Steve owned it. And, you know, I used to see him around the house all the time. And I was like, I need a gig. And he was like, great, you can be our delivery guy. And the first day that I was delivering pharmaceuticals, it was like a shitty, wet, rainy day. And I was driving through the wind, winding streets of, of Gladwin to drop something off. And I hydroplaned and fucking smashed the car that they gave me to drive. So um, that was a very interesting first day of work. And then, uh, but he was really cool about it. So um, it worked out. <laughs> That's uh, dude, yeah, first day, first day on the job. Made a good impression, you left an impression. But then I say, my name is Michael Jackson. So, <laughs> always forgive it. Always forgive it. Yeah, I moonwalked out. Uh, so, you're a producer of TV, theater, film. What project would you say did you first feel like I pro- like I produced this? This is you know I can because again we, we joke that lots of people call themselves producers and the whole producer credit thing is kind of murky. What project would you first feel like? Yeah, I produced this project. I mean, I think it's all collaborative, to be honest. Um, we've come on to projects in later stages. We've come on in earlier stages where, you know, they've started with us. And I think it's a case-by-case basis. I always feel like we're bringing something to the table regardless. Um, Underground was a really great project for us. And it was our first major TV, like scripted TV credit. And it was a show that was really important. And it was a great conversation piece. Um, and I really felt ownership over that as far as my role and, and my participation in that project. Um, you know, I always feel like we're bringing stuff to the table no matter what. So I always feel some sort of ownership, but I'm also very mindful of, you know, like Jingle Jangle, for example, is a film that just came out for us on Netflix and David Talbert who wrote and directed it and his wife, Lynn, you know, they've been living with the project for 20 years and, you know, I've been living with it for far less. So um i was very mindful of that there's this thing where you get like pga certifications for project by project 
And we're just in the process now where our films that like have literally been born with us are, are being shot and coming out. So basically our, most of our film projects, we've come in to partner with people on existing IP. So I've never actually tried to take a PGA credit um, because you only can get like two or three. Um, and it's always like a, a thing for most people, not us, or, but like most people really want it and they fight for it. And, you know, I've never done that. Um, so I think I'm I, in, in, in owning ownership and knowing that I've played a role in everything that we've done. I also try to be respectful to the process and to those people that were a part of it before me. Um, so yeah, I take ownership on everything. It's just levels. You've, you've done a lot of different projects. Where's the most surprising place you think you found yourself, whether it was a particular location or engaging with someone that, you know, earlier on you'd be like, I can't believe I'm here or I can't believe I'm talking to this person. I mean, I've been really blessed to get to meet so many incredible people like, you know, that I'm underwhelmed at this point by fame. Um, like meeting someone famous, it's like, you know, there's a lot of people that are famous that you just don't have a lot of respect for. So the fame and celebrity thing is not that significant to me. Um, but with that said, there are people that you get to meet sometimes that are just like so impressive. Tanisi Coates is someone I met who was super impressive and I met him early days, but he was like bubbling, but like, you're like, wow, this guy is special. Brian Stevenson is Brian Stevenson is someone who I've met who again is not famous but like he fights for people to look like me to, to for their freedom um Oprah Winfrey was a pretty interesting person to meet you know that that definitely left an impression and mo more recently like most recently <laughs> I guess I can talk about it we're doing a doc we do a lot of documentaries um and a doctor in the process of shooting is uh about Al Sharpton and I remember um, I was on a phone call with the our, one of our producing partners, Daniel Chalfin, and our director, Josh Alexander. We were all together, and our other buddy, this guy, Kedar Massenberg, who's a big music exec, transitioning into doing a lot of TV and film, got the rev on the phone. And this is before we had the project. We're trying to see if Sharpton would let us do this project. And Kedar had him on the phone, and he handed the the phone over and like was like this is the rev and the rev was listening to us and he's like i'm interested i'm interested mind you we're in la and he's in new york and it's like wednesday and he goes meet me in my office on friday at 10 a.m and we were like no problem we'll see you rev and cut to on a plane on the red eye the next day to get there for friday morning and we get to his office and all of a sudden we're sitting in the office with rev al and I remember just being like, this is crazy. Like, this is the hustle. This is the grind. Like, we are in service not only to the people that we're trying to get to watch the content that we create, we're in service to the people that allow us to make the content, period. And whether that's, you know, jumping on a plane or whatever other circumstances may present themselves, our job is to be flexible and nimble and do whatever it takes to get the story or tell the story. And that was a perfect example of that process. And it ended with us sitting in Al Sharpton's office in Harlem telling him that we're like, not in Harlem actually, it's in Manhattan. Al Sharpton's office telling him like, we want to do this documentary about him and it's called Loudmouth. <laughs>
and this is why. And it was really, and Akon walked in out of all people. I was like, where is, it was just wild. So that probably. Uh, your whole career from my perspective is about telling compelling stories. When you're looking for a story to tell, what, what are you looking for? Well, I think, you know, being a person of color and having the platform that we kind of built that we're not obligated to, but we kind of are to, to shine a light on people to look like us and tell those stories. And, you know, historically, when you're talk, telling brown or black stories, they put us in a certain box. So for me and our company, it was important to show the variety of life within black and brown people. Yeah, we're not going to run away from like the bad stuff, but we're not going to glorify it like mainstream media is typically done with black characters or brown characters, like the cool gangster drug dealer, you know, like, you know, we'll talk about the gangster drug dealer, but we're not going to like glorify it. We're going to ground it in truth and reality. And I think ultimately for us, it's that like finding stories about people of color that are grounded and truthful, but still feel like there's a level of commercial commerciality to it. So that people want to see it. Um, and now there's this thing called black Twitter and it's like Twitter, but like all, all people of color kind of go there and there is no buffer for failure. And like on some level, we use black Twitter as a barometer. Like, are we going to survive black Twitter if we do this shit? You know, um, obviously that's not like the, the end all be all, but you know, we want to make sure that we're telling smart, elevated stories about people of color that don't feel forced, you know, that feel authentic. Um, hold on one second. It's just John. I got to take this. Hmm? When legend calls, you got to take that call, fam. <laughs> you got to take the call. Okay, he's my partner. We're we're partners, but that's the boss, man. You got to know when your friend's your friend, and when when work is work. I feel that it's like when when my he doesn't wife treat calls. me like that. He doesn't treat me like that. Like he treats me like his partner, and it's wonderful and beautiful. But I and I but I treat him like my partner, who also could say I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> so, so. Well, uh, let me, uh, let me ask that question. What's it like to work with someone who has achieved that level of success and fame and celebrity? What's it like to work with someone like John Legend, who's very accomplished and globally famous and, and be their partner? Um, well, I can start by saying being an Emmy and a Tony winner doesn't mean shit in my camp. Um, <laughs> they're like, keep trying. Two more to go. I'm like, sweet. I'm like, does the image word account or critics should? No? Okay. Because um, he's got those too, so it doesn't really matter. Um, no. Um, it's the best, man. Like, John's one of my close friends. You know, I, I, I stood up for him at his wedding. I was one of his groomsmen. I was with him from, I was his first manager. So we had this really great shorthand and understanding of one another. Um, similar worldviews and political views. So, like, anything that I want to do for the company, as far as like content material, I would say 99% of the time, like it's completely aligned. And that 1% when it's not, I still feel like it should be, but he'll have his reasons. He's like, I don't, you know, and I'll just be like, well, I have this thing called the mic test, not Mike Jackson, but like a microphone test. 
Meaning like if John can't talk about it, if a microphone's put in front of his face, we shouldn't be doing it. And it can be as simple as he doesn't want to do it. If he doesn't want to do it, then he doesn't want to talk about it. So therefore that eliminates it for us. Even if I feel passionately the other way, um, you know, you have to decide what you want to fight for and what you don't. And like I said, more often than not, we're so aligned with the stuff that we do as a company that I don't really have to follow my sword. So if he really feels strongly about something, I kind of just, all good, keep it moving. Um, but you know, it's it's great having a partner like John, specifically John, as opposed to like the, the archetype of globally famous, successful person, but like John specifically, he's a great partner. I mean, he, he walks the walk, you know, and you can see by his um, philanthropy and his just all the things he does outside of his musical career and how he uses this platform for good. I think it's a wonderful partnership for me. Um, and people have such genuine respect for him, except for a lot of people on the right now, they don't like him too much, um, but that's because they can, whatever. Um, I think he's a great partner and I think um, he's given me the opportunity to really grow our business in a really organic way. So it feels like everything we do feels personal to me, um, although it's aligned with him and you know, he, you know, it's funny, like I follow his social media and I know he's super famous and I know Chrissy's, I know all the realities of who they are, but I've also known him for 20 some years and Chrissy for 10 plus years. And I just have a different relationship with them. So for me, like, I don't really think about all that stuff too often uh, outside of when it comes to selling a product. Mm -hmm. you know but um outside of transactional things as far as like getting what we need for the business and like the leveraging of fame in that way um for how it works in your favor outside of that like i don't think much about his celebrity um and i just kind of talked to him about fantasy football and life <laughs> and politics and i'm a dad now we talk about raising young children and men of color and you know, like, you know, we just talk about normal stuff. I'll tell you uh, how I sort of leverage my, my, the fact that I've met John and saying, when people say, you know, how do you know John Legend? And I go, well, we kind of share one of our closest friends. I said, you know, because my friend Jackson stood up at John's wedding and stood up at my wedding. I said, the only difference is that when he did it in John's wedding, it was in Vanity Fair. <laughs> that's funny was it it was in yeah i'm pretty sure it was van vanity fair what it was in a big magazine splash like oh my god there's jackson <laughs> um you just mentioned about you being coming a dad and i know how important that is to anyone and i know how you know that's something i always saw for you would be significant as for anyone else how has that kind of changed your perspective of the world? Becoming a father has changed my perspective about everything. Um, I look at my son and I'm just like, everything in your life, at least these, these first few years of your life, it's about me and your mom and how we raise you and the lessons that we instill in you and how we live our lives so that you can see by example. Um, and 
I'm just really excited and and uh, about the challenge of being a father. Here's my son right here. My my wife is walking out. My son, he just had his head appointment, and uh, hi. I was just you just talking about you. Hi, hey buddy, Jones. Hi, he's getting he's big. it's all about my friend but i'm i love my son um everything now in my life is about my son and my wife i haven't had family since the people who gave me life i haven't had a family and um at 48 years old starting my family now it's like the greatest gift i could ever have and um yeah it's changed everything my perspective on life is really just about how i can be in service to my family how I can make their lives best. And if I do a great job at that, not only will I have healthy relationships, but hopefully my son will go into the world as a strong, positive member of society and he will be my legacy. Way more than any movie credit or TV credit, Jones is my whole life. Well, that leads me to my next question, which is how you define success, which may have changed in the last year. Uh, Success to me is smiles on my family's face. Success to me is my family knowing that they're safe. Success for me is completely intertwined with, with, with Rachel and Jones now. Obviously, you want to have professional success because you want to be able, I want to need you to take him because you're going to want to be able to take care of your family. Lunch is almost ready. Um, say bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> bye. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> Um, but, um, I love him so much. Um, yeah, when I'm an only child and, you know, my parents are both deceased and I live in Los Angeles, so there's no family for me out here. So I've lived a pretty much a nomadic life, um, until now. I mean, I've had other relationships, but obviously none that led me down the path of marriage and fatherhood. So I think, you know, for the first time really in my life, I have these people outside of my mom, these people that need me around and depend on me. And that to me is the greatest gift that you can have in this life is to, to love and be loved and to need and be needed and to feel inspired by those people to go out and do everything in your power to set an example and, and give them the best life possible. Um, but doing it in a way that keeps you grounded. I think a lot of people in particular in LA and in our in the entertainment business, especially as you start to achieve success, they lose sight of like um, what's really important. And I've seen it happen a lot. And there's been moments where it's happened to me as a single man. Um, and now as a family man, I just, and an older dad, I just think I'm aware of those tropes. And um, I just endeavor to be the best person I can be so that my son can see me in that light. Yeah, I was going to ask you about inspiration and obviously your family inspires you. What inspires you creatively? My blackness inspires me creatively. Um, again, like I kind of touched upon before, I think it's really important to, to use the platform and, and artistry to paint a picture, a complete picture of the black and brown experience. Um, 
and yeah, I think just my blackness is the thing that inspires me the most creatively and my family. So you were talking about how you've, you know, as, as you've matured, we'll say, you know, you've gotten over some of the, the, the pitfalls and things that we all do when we're younger. What one piece of advice would you give to your 21 year old self? Stay the course. You know, if I, my 21 year old self, I would just say, yes, yeah, stay the course. Like, um, I didn't know where I was headed at 21, but I knew not to get in my own way. I was pretty uh, fearless, you know? So I think I would just kind of say to my 21 year old self, stay the course, man. Don't, don't overthink everything until you have to. Now I have to overthink things because I have a wife and a son, but when it's just me out in the world, as long as I'm not doing harm to myself and others and I can look in the mirror and know that I'm a good person, be fearless, take chances, you know, I moved around a lot, but every time I moved, it was for something cool and something that informed what I'm doing today, although I didn't know it at the time. Um, but every every part of my life's journey from 21 on, whether, you know, getting, getting in a car against my parents' will and driving to Boulder, Colorado was a major moment in my life because that led me to this path of being a promoter. I didn't know what a promoter was, but I got paid to have people go party. But then that allowed me to understand that the guys who were paying me were producing the events oh wow that's event production and then i started my own events production company and i was like oh that word producing again oh well i wonder what the producer does in the tv and film and theater thing versus what they do in events thing and it's the same thing like my point is everything every choice whether it took me to san francisco or boulder or la or new york or whatever was a path was a step forward in my journey so again, I guess I'll just say to my 21 year old self, do you stay true to yourself, take no's like you take yeses, you know, don't let the, either of them define you. Just keep pushing forward until you find that thing that will define you. So looking at the future, what do you think is, you know, there's been a lot of change in the entertainment industry in the last, well, definitely 10 years in terms of the way things get made and you, you know, I did independent movies and then they're in the studio system and the network system. What do you think is the next trend in terms of what's happening in entertainment? Back to blackness, Jeff. I think, <laughs> I, I think um, going into 2021 in particular after this year we've had, and it's not, obviously 2020 isn't completely defined by a pandemic, at least in our country, because there's also essentially a race war going on in our country. And I think, um, I think in particular with Hollywood and content creators, it's been such a hot button topic. Um, and you can already see change happening um, as far as like people being hired for jobs and not just like, you know, a director gig, but like a, a senior level executive at a studio or a network. Um, you're seeing these companies, we're in a deal with, I, mean, I know it said ABC, but it's Disney is where our deal is, which is owns ABC. Disney's making tremendous, taking tremendous steps to, to create measures that protect people of color as far as like content creation. And it, it, they're taking steps to create awareness for existing executives that aren't of color to create an environment where we can talk about things and empower people to tell stories. And I think that's something that's not a Disney thing. I think it's happening uh, throughout the industry. Um, I think again, it's evidenced by my company who's been doing 
brown and black content for a while, but now to see the demand, I mean, I get phone calls now from execs that are running movie studios that are black. Like that shit just didn't happen. And these are all hires in the last 12 months with the maybe, you know, like our promotions, you know what I'm saying? Like black executive running TriStar, black executive running Orion, like they're everywhere, like black executive running Freeform, like, and, and there's more and more and more, you know, and it's just like, I think, I think that's, I think content's really going to go in a very diverse place. And I think people are definitely going to, um, I think it's <laughs> what happens when we work from home. Your wife asks you if you fed the dog shit while you're doing a podcast with your homie. Um, yeah, I think, um, I think 2020 is going to be, I think it's going to be one of those years historically where we look back and we're like, you know, five, 10 years from now, we see the effect that it's had. And again, I think that effect in my business is going to be a lot about diversification um, in storytelling, as well as in hiring and job opportunities and creating a, a completely um, re, a rehabilitated culture within the power rankings of the entertainment business, which will allow different types of stories to be told. And then specifically, what's next for you? You just had this movie come out. I'm really excited to see it. What, what's coming up? We, you know, this fourth quarter has been pretty cool for us. Again, I said we like we love documentaries, so we had a documentary come out a couple of weeks ago on Stars called Withdrawn Arms, which is about Tommy Smith, you know, from the Berlin Olympics with the fist up. Um, we have um, Jingle Jangle, which just came out uh, last week on Netflix. We have a, a project coming out, uh, one on December 8th and one on December 11th. Um, one's called 40 Years of Prisoner, which being Philadelphians, we all remember MOVE. And um, the MOVE 9 were a group of nine MOVE members that all went to jail for the murder of a police officer, although it was one bullet that was shot that hit this cop, but nine people went to jail for one shot. Um, two of those people were um, a couple a husband who were um, expecting their first child. So that child was born in prison. Um, his name is Mike Africa Jr. And he was born in prison and lived in prison with his parents for just like a week or two. Like they kind of concealed his birth. Um, and basically he didn't really understand what happened to his parents. And when he was around like 12, 13, <coughs> he started to kind of become hip to like, his parents are incarcerated and this is why. And from that moment forward, he spent the rest of, he spent his life fighting for their freedom. And now as a 40 year old man, and a father himself and we were documenting him and his journey to get them free they happened to be freed during the time we were filming them um, over the last year um, so um, that doc's called 40 years of prisoner and that comes out uh, in December and then we um, have another documentary that we're so proud of um, it's called giving voice and August Wilson is one of the premier playwrights in American history. He's also an African-American playwright. And he's also the person who wrote Jitney, which is the play that we took to Broadway. Um, and after his death, they started what was called the August Wilson monologue competitions. And they find different people throughout the country to compete by giving August Wilson monologues and it culminates with the finalists going to a stage on Broadway and performing the monologues before we find the winner. And we documented that as well. That also won like the uh, audience award at Sundance this year. Um, 
So 40 Years a Prisoner premieres on HBO and Giving Voice premieres on um, Netflix. So that's that's the last, those four projects are this quarter, 2020, which is pretty exciting. Um, and then outside of that, we have um, Sherman Showcase season two. We're about to shoot that top of next year. Rhythm and Flow, our hip hop show on Netflix is gonna shoot sometime next year. And then we have a super robust development slate that covers our Broadway TV and film projects. Um, and a couple, you know, we're, we're excited. We're excited, we're doing a Dick Gregory biopic um, we did the Dick Gregory one-man play off Broadway. Now we're doing a, 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 a film version of that with a really cool actor um, who just won an Emmy, but I'm not supposed to say his name yet. Um, okay. And then, uh, yeah, we just have a lot of cool stuff, man. And I just feel very blessed and fortunate. And um, we're going to keep plugging away. I'm excited about a lot of that stuff. So I'm glad it's coming soon because as all we'll be stuck at home, it's good to have good content. Yeah. Uh, so now we come to a, a part of my podcast where we have nine rapid fire questions, just kind of, you know, off the spur. Some of them end up being longer, but here we go. Is it better to be a planner or a doer? Is it better to be a planner or a doer? I think it's better to be both. I think even if you're like a doer and you just want to get things done, you can simultaneously throw a plan together even if it's lock and step you're planning as you're moving i think to just blindly go into anything is um potentially a recipe for disaster but that doesn't mean you can't go full steam ahead while plotting at the same time should stories always have happy endings stories should not always have happy endings stories should reflect life if you're in a position to tell multiple stories you want to be able to tell stories that encompass the complete life experience so i think you know like life there's happy moments and sad moments and you know i think coming out of 2020 there's going to be a lot of content that we see that's going to be rooted in sadness and darkness and depression because that's what a lot of people are experiencing right now so again i think you know a story is exactly that a story is supposed to have a, a beginning a middle and hopefully an end um and unless it's good will hunting because we don't know what the fuck happened with matt damon and Minnie driver did they stay together did they work it out i don't know but typically I think, yeah, story should reflect the real world. And, and there's no one way to tell, there's no one way for something to end. Do you have a favorite emoji? <laughs> well, do I have a favorite emoji? I, uh, I just became an iPhone user recently, much to my chagrin. And uh, apparently AirDrop, I don't know, Dropbox isn't good enough. So yeah, so whatever. So now, and now I'm not green. I don't, I don't know, but like, so now, but what I've discovered is like the, the Apple phone, they give you like, you can create an emoji that looks like yourself. Um, so I've created a few of those emojis. So those are my favorite ones because I feel like it's really me communicating with whoever I'm talking to. Like, and I have like hearts in the eye emoji. Like, and I send it to my wife, it's like googly eyes and it's me. It's not just like that yellow face, you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. Emojis. Um. Being named after being having the same name as a famous singer, if you had to sing at karaoke, is there a song you would go to? Oh, uh, singing karaoke, A, I would never feel obligated to sing a Michael Jackson song, and B, I never feel obligated to sing any song because I'm really not trying to fuck people up like that. <laughs> like my musical talents end with my relationship to John Legend and my namesake. 
and that's it. Although I can carry a note because of my friend Central School training back in the day, you know, I, I, I do believe that I can sing the shit out of Happy Birthday for my for my friends and I can carry a note. But um, yeah, no, I'm not doing karaoke. One of the things I've learned is there's certain things that you think you do well when you have young children and then they eventually learn that you're not very good yeah. My kids thought I was an amazing artist for a, for a few first years. And then they realized, Dad, that, that stick figure is terrible. Yeah, they're like, have you heard of Van Gogh? He apparently had a career. You're like, hmm. Uh, what's your, I know you're big on social. What's your favorite platform? Oh, well, I really only go to Instagram, to be honest. Like, my Instagram is connected to my other socials. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't really look at them that much outside of Instagram. I do go to Facebook um, because that's the one that represents home the most. Mm-hmm. That's like the biggest collection of like people from from Philly that I want to stay connected to. Um, the problem is I get in trouble sometimes because I don't look at my social, I don't look at Facebook as often as others. And then people like from home will like send me a note or something and then I, I don't reply. One guy who I didn't, wasn't even like really that friendly with, like called me out as like, I'm so Hollywood now and all this stuff. And, and my, you know, so I kind of was like, do you have my cell phone number? <laughs> no. We're not then, that close. Then we're not that close. So I don't owe you anything, <laughs> but I, and I mean that in such a kind way. Like I'm, I, you know me, I'm a really nice, loyal friend. Yes, you are. But um, so I, that kind of made me really sad also, like, which made me stay further away from Facebook because I've gotten a few of those messages from people or like, you know. Haters gonna hate. But like this guy I know, Russell, he, he I know him and he had two scripts he wanted read. So here we go, you know, but that's the other thing. Like I'm fine doing it for him, but like yeah. everyone, and a lot of people that. have a script. A lot of people have projects and it's like they just assume that like I have time to read and give them notes and give them attention and it's like not that I don't want to I would love to but like I have scripts that I have to read for work and things I have to do for work and now I have a family and it's like it's like going to someone else's job and being like I need you to do that for me right now that's my expectation no matter what else is going on in your life because it's so important to me um, but with all that said, Instagram's my favorite platform. <laughs> I kind of went on a tangent. Can you think of a book that left a lasting impression on you? Oh, man. There may be more than so one. So many great books out there. Um, that's a great question, Jeff. I don't know if there's one book. Like, I could go back in time and be like, Where the Sidewalk Ends was a book that left a great impression on me by Shel Silverstein. I love that. that doesn't feel very, like, adult and, like... My favorite book's Harold on the Purple Crown, so it's intellectual. all Intellectual, yeah. But, you know, that was something from my youth that had a lot of impact on me. Um, to Kill a Mockingbird was a book that I read by Harper Lee that we had to read from Mr. DeSabato. Yeah. Um, and I still use that. You never truly understand a man until you walk around in his shoes for a while. So things, like, from my past books like that resonate with me um currently i I read so many scripts Mm -hmm. um and i'm trying i actually just uh uh, kind of set myself up again on audible so i can start like getting back into books um in a more significant way that aren't like required reading i'm about to read obama's book Mm -hmm. so that i feel like is going to have a pretty strong impression on me um i met obama too that was actually really cool from one of your previous questions 
we did a movie we were exec producers of a movie called south side with you about the first date with him and michelle and when i met him it was right before the movie came out and i was telling him how excited we're about the movie and he goes i've heard about the movie michael he goes here it's pretty good no one asked me if they can make it but i hear it's pretty good and i was like uh we can send you a link mr president and he's like i'd appreciate that michael and i was like okay and then we sent him a link we never heard from him so i don't know I don't know what happened, but it's one of those things. People are busy. You know, he had he had a few other exactly things. right. You cannot put your expectations on others. Yeah. Um, all right. Now this may be a really hard question, which is, can you think of one of your favorite movies? One of mine, like one I did. No. Oh. I mean, you uh, that'd be to uh, hear one that you've done, but I was asking more generally, like in your life, what's the movie you just love? Well, it's going to say a lot about me, and it's not going to be very professional. That's okay. but I've always loved Dazed and Confused. <laughs> uh, what it is, it's an awesome movie. You know, I didn't. I, I remember I was visiting our our friend Emily Fine, uh-huh. um, and we were in college, and she was at uh, BU, and you were at Amherst, um, and I went to hang out with her randomly and we decided to go see a movie in this little movie theater. We had no idea what it was. We were just walking by and we're like, oh, this starts now. Let's go see this movie. And it was dazed and confused. And I remember walking out and I'm like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. And I think the fact that I knew nothing about it, I totally related to it. And it was just so funny to me. I don't know if I've really had that much pure uh, satisfaction from something again because there was no level of uh expectation going in but yeah there's way better movies than days confused i promise you but i just i just said one of them so that's good can you think of something you you can't live without yeah my wife and my son i figured you were gonna say that but just some people have said coffee all right here finally if you could be credited with inventing something what would it be and why if I could be credited for inventing something that exists already, either something that exists or something that doesn't exist. I would love to be credited for inventing um, like something in technology, like the MacBook Pro or something like that. If you're going to invent there, the cell phone, if you're going to invent something, you might as well get paid for it. So I feel like those guys have done pretty well. So the computer or cell phone, you know, that'd be pretty cool. And then you, you I, I was going to ask you about anything you, you know, you're particularly promoting. You've already done a great job of sharing. We'll make sure we have those links. I in, will say one thing though uh, about Jingle Jangle. I'll say one thing about Jingle Jangle that I, that I didn't say yet. Um, Jingle Jangle is a very big movie, right? Like as far as budgets, it's a big budget, live action, holiday family musical. And I'm really proud of that movie because at the center of it is a black family. And you've never seen a black family at the center of a movie like this for a budget like that. And I think, but we never talk about it. And I, I'm really proud of the fact that, you know, we're a part of a movie of this stature with the level of cast that we have and the level of reach that we have um, with the global audience. And we're able to show a family of color living this fantastical, magical life um, in a way that we've never, it's like Black Panther, you know, the Black Panther effect, like we're able to present a different optic than what we what we're accustomed to and i'm really proud to be a part of that film for that reason um imagine black willy wonka 
set against a holiday backdrop with with animation and live action and you know i hope that as as we come out of 20 and going to 21 and beyond that people continue to be a part of telling great stories that highlight all people in all facets of life whether it's whether it's jingle jangle and it's fantasy or it's something grounded way more in truth i hope that people continue to push the bar and and represent the country as a whole and the people who inhabit this country as a whole and can and not to keep putting people in boxes and not to support people that want to like recount votes and eliminate certain parts of cities because they don't align with their way of thinking i hope that we get to a place where and i know utopia doesn't exist but i hope we can get to a place and i think art has a lot and play a big role in that where we start projecting imagery of people and we just think wow look at these humans living their lives whether it be good or bad and um I'm really proud of Jingle Jangle for doing that, albeit in a fantastical way. I'm really proud of that movie for that. Um, and I hope that that's a narrative that people hop on and ride out into the sunset. I'm even more excited to see it. Uh, Jax, it's always awesome to speak to you. I'm so glad we did this. Uh, I appreciate you and thank you. And I wanna thank you for helping us connect the dots. Real quick, thank you. And I just want to say I'm so proud of you too, Jeff. We've been friends since we were six years old and now we're like 18. So that's 12 solid years right there. And uh, it's just happy to see you, uh, you know, the man you've become and the father and the husband that you are, like your family's everything to you. And you're definitely one of my role models on how to navigate life and how to be a good husband and a good father. Um, it was my pleasure to do um, Connect the Dots. Um, and uh, thank you for the invite. Awesome sauce. Thank you for taking your time to listen to this podcast. Please subscribe on your preferred podcast platform so you don't miss any future episodes. If you could also do me a favor and please leave a review on iTunes, I would really appreciate that. Remember, story matters and is the best way to connect the dots.